So, Chance, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving uh, few days off. It was nice. It was, how was your Thanksgiving? And you, did you do the... Some of the British podcasters, like Mike Hurley, I know they celebrate American Thanksgiving. Do you partake oh, really? in any... Uh, yeah. No, I have other jobs. That's the difference. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You didn't even get the day off. No. What about Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Any- do you know what? I... I was looking. I didn't really see anything crazy good, you know. I didn't really splurge or anything. There wasn't any. I have in previous years sometimes when there's actually good deals around, but I didn't really see anything mm-hmm. that caught my fancy. So I just let it slide by. I was telling you that I saw something on Twitter that Target was going to have PS5s for like $150 off. And I saw that on, I guess, Thanksgiving itself. And I was like, oh, like. PS5 for 350 bucks. Like, if I could get one of those, I'd buy it. Then I never saw anything else about it. <laughs> I don't know if it was like just some sort of engagement bait tweet or something. But that was the most enticing thing I saw. And I might have just been fake news. I don't know. Well, there you go. But I assume you have been having some ongoing thoughts with your new Max app because I presume you took your MacBook Pro with you when you went on your travails for thanksgiving yes i took the new 14 inch macbook pro with me back to indiana which was the first time i've traveled with it and traveling was one of the reasons i wanted to buy it because have everything on the same mac for instance we recorded this show on what last week on monday Mm -hmm. so i knew i had the files and everything i needed on the mac because i didn't have to worry about making sure the mac studio had uploaded things to icloud drive didn't have to worry about getting halfway across the country and realizing that I didn't have my file. So that was the first like real benefit, I think, of having the one Mac lifestyle. And I think that is outweighing some of the problems that I've had so far. There are two things I've noticed that I think can be attributed, at least in part, to using this new 14-inch MacBook Pro with a Thunderbolt dock. The first one being that almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, I unplug from the Thunderbolt dock and go use the MacBook as a MacBook. The sound is all messed up. Hmm. So this is either there's no sound whatsoever or the sound is incredibly quiet. So like I turn the volume all the way up and you can still barely hear it. I don't understand what's going on here because even when it's connected to the Thunderbolt dock connected to my Pro Display XDR... I'm still using the MacBook Pro speakers. Right, the, the Pro Display XDR. Yeah, the XDR yeah. speakers. So I have no idea what's happening here. But it's that it's is... annoying because it requires a reboot every time. You have to reboot? Oh, that is annoying. Yeah, I don't have that. I mean, I use Adobe C Thunderbolt dock. Very similar to yours. I think I have like the, the one generation earlier, like the Thunderbolt 3 one and the Thunderbolt 4 one. And yeah. I also have a setup where... The laptop plugs in one cable and it connects to a display, not the Pro Display XDR, but another display that doesn't have its own speakers. And I use the MacBook Pro speakers. I have had this set up since 2021, and I can't remember. I'm struggling to remember a single instance where I've had audio glitches of any description. So that is unlucky. I've I've seen some reports on like Reddit from other people with the M3 Max who are having similar problems with the thunderbolt 4 owc dock i don't know if it's something hopefully it's something that can be fixed with like a mac os update or whatever but yeah that's seems like it yeah that is annoying 
it's annoying. Then the other problem I'm having is the battery a few times has drained completely, like from 100% to 0% overnight. While it's in like clamshell, like in your bag or something. Yeah, it'll be in my bag. I know it's at 100%. And then I wake up in the morning, turn it on, and it's completely dead. That is an issue I have heard other people experience yes. over to, over the course of history. Going back to the Intel days, not but also Apple Silicon era, I can't really tell you what to do about it, but I do, yeah, I don't think there I do know that is a thing. <laughs> and just in general, like I was spoiled by using the M2 MacBook Air, the 13-inch, then the 15-inch, because the battery life on those machines is just so, 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 so good. The battery life on the M3 Max MacBook Pro is fine. It's definitely nowhere near as good as the MacBook Air. So yeah. that's taking some adjustment, especially traveling. I had a three-hour layover at the Dallas airport last week, and I was sitting there, and I was on my computer, and I was just doing some writing, doing some very, very lightweight things. And I looked up, and I was like, oh, I'm losing battery like pretty quickly. I need to find an outlet. That's something I wouldn't have had to worry about with the MacBook Air. Yeah, MacBook Air battery life is, in practice, like... Probably double the Pebble Pro. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Especially on the Max. Uh, I haven't seen comparisons of Pro versus Max M3 battery life drain, but definitely on the M1 generation, uh, the Pro got more battery like you know, significantly more battery life than the yeah. Maxes do. You know, a few more hours over the whole charge because obviously the Max is more power hungry, more cores. Um, and even if you put it in the lower power mode state, doesn't really make a difference just the number of cores outweighs that effect. So if you are looking for battery life, if battery life is a, is the consideration, then yeah, MacBook Air is 100% the, the first option. And then secondarily, if you do want the MacBook Pro form factor, either the M3, the base model, or the M3 Pro will probably give you better results uh, than the Max would. Um, so that is definitely a consideration, yeah. Apple's website for the M3 version says 22 hours of Apple TV app movie playback 15 hours of wireless web then for the m3 pro and m3 max it's less so 18 hours of movies 12 hours of wireless web. and what what does the macbook air the 15 inch macbook air say for wireless web because the video they always quote the video stat but i always kind of ignore that one because like it's not really um stressing what you do on a daily workflow like watching a video full screen that the the display pipeline has like optimized routes for like showing video efficiently and stuff so like it's it's not a great uh example obviously sometimes you do watch video whatever but um, and at least it's something that can be uniformly compared across the line but at least wireless web is more closer to a a real world environment where you're, you know you're actually using the computer is using the network and stuff so you get 15 hours on the m3 and what like 12, 13, you just said on the M3 Pro, M3 Max. And then the MacBook Air gets what? The 15-inch MacBook Air is 18 hours of movies yeah. or 15 hours of wireless web. So the same as the M3 MacBook Pro. And I reckon you probably get more than 15 yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the Airs. My, my, my lifestyle with the MacBook Air was that it overachieved. And so far, my life with the MacBook Pro is that it very, very much underachieves. But I... Really putting that M3 Max to the to the test, I guess. All of my very intense Swift UI development and <laughs> Final Cut Pro 8K rendering, you know, I'm stressing its limits. Well, you have edited podcasts on it now, I think, since we last spoke about it. Yeah. And you <laughs> can the speak to the incredible three. performance difference. <laughs> I cannot tell a difference, but... <laughs> 
One thing that I mentioned to you, I think, in my first little little hands-on was the RAM concern, because I'm going from 64 to, what, 36? Mm-hmm. I haven't noticed that, but I've noticed that in act- Activity Monitor, like, I'm getting close. Yeah, the... the- I sent you a screenshot and you kind of explained what I was looking at. So I'll tell you right now, it says physical memory, 36 gigabytes, memory used, 30 gigabytes, cached files, seven gigabytes, swap used, zero. Yeah. Uh, is I don't really know what those numbers mean. I mean, I can't 100% tell what those numbers mean without like referencing the documentation every single time because <laughs> it is very confusing. But you do have to think, mate, the, the, the number one uh, thing to look at is that swap amount. But yeah. If it says zero or it says, you know, a gigabyte or two, like that's generally not an issue, right? And even if you have higher gigabyte machines, you will sometimes see that swap amount go from zero to something non-zero uh, because the computers are designed to use the resources that they have at their disposal, right? So yeah, if you have more RAM, there will be more cache files in active use. Like, And when, you, when RAM gets compressed, when RAM uh, becomes into a constrained environment, like you need it for your primary task, theoretically the caches die off and they they fade away similar ish to like you know on the iphone um you have you know, all your previous apps held in ram until you run out of ram and then they just restart but they're still listed yeah. in the in the in the multitasking window but obviously if you have more ram your ram usage will still be pretty high because the phone just fills it up with a lot of stuff that is a factor there's also like in the mac um screen you see like wide memory percentages and other and other details like there are different reasons for each and it's a bit, com- com- bit more complicated if you want like the best judge if you notice that the swap amount like the number of the swap is like varying over use so like over the course of the day it jumps around from like two to seven to ten to five to two to one to f- like that's a mm-hmm. pretty easy way to tell that oh there is actually like bad swap usage going on Again, it's not foolproof. Like that's just a benchmark. There are like terminal commands you can run that can actually show you know swapping happening from the disk to RAM and stuff. So, uh, but even some level of swap is not the worst thing in the world. Like it's 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 kind of like um, do you remember there was the debates a couple of years ago about the like the six inch MacBook Pro would like thermal throttle on a certain environments. So people were like, well, you put it in the fridge and yeah. it doesn't thermal throttle yeah. at all. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, the, with the six inch MacBook Pro, it was particularly extenuated as a bad thing, but you could perform thermal throttling you could get other machines at the time to thermal throttle but is it thermal throttling at a time when you actually actually makes a difference and do you actually care about the end result right so it's more complicated than just is the number zero or non-zero um i generally think as a general if you've got 18 gigs of ram or above daily workflow tasks you're probably going to be fine the last thing is i think the first time we talked about this i was using the MacBook Pro on a 12 South like stand next to my Pro Display XDR. I've abandoned that strategy. The, it now sits behind my Pro Display XDR in another 12 South stand. I think it's called the Book Arc in clamshell mode. So I don't see the MacBook Pro display at all. I think I like this way better because it gives me more of the experience I had with the Mac Studio where it's almost kind of like an iMac where it's one display powered by a separate computer, modular. I wasn't taking advantage of the MacBook Pro screen at all when I was using it on the stand. So I think I like this way better. It's still one cable from the OWC dock. It does suck that I'm not getting to look at like the mini LED ProMotion screen at all during the day, but 
I do really, I'll, I'll try to make it the chapter art, but I do really like this, this setup where the MacBook Pro is basically hidden. So I know it's still only been like a month or whatever. Overall, do you prefer it this way or would you go back to a separate studio or Mac mini kind of arrangement? Right now, I don't know if I'm still in the, the little honeymoon phase, but right now I prefer this. I think what I said at the beginning about traveling is a big benefit. And that includes because like I work in like a co-working office and then I go home at the end of every day. That like that is also quote unquote travel. Yeah. Like I would go home sometimes and want to start editing the show on my MacBook Air and be like, oh, crap, I don't have my file. So I can't do that. But now it's it's just it's something I don't have to worry about. There is a huge convenience, I think, to just having one machine. And it's also like different settings and preferences, like a download. So I kept trying to use Raycast to replace Spotlight. But with two Macs, I could just never get it to work the same how I wanted it on both of them. And it was too jarring to have different systems for Spotlight search on both of them. So I just gave up. Yeah, because my my arrangement is not too different from yours, except I don't go to travel to a co-working office. It's just I have an office in the house, yeah. right? So, but and the laptop mostly lives in the office. But you know, on occasion, once a week or so, whatever, I want to use the laptop downstairs, or I'm going out and traveling, mm-hmm. and I'm taking the laptop with me, and like that is way I find that very convenient rather than having like a separate desk computer and then also like a MacBook Air for traveling or whatever, because you just know everything's exactly where it is. It's in the exact same condition. All your files are there. Like, you know, cloud sync and everything is great, but it's still just nice to just have like one canonical machine. And it's also cheaper. You know, you don't need to run multiple computers. You don't have to have great multiple computers. That's a benefit too. Yeah. Um, so that's why I've been running the laptop as desktop lifestyle for 10 years almost now, I guess, because <laughs> I, I started with the 15 inch Retina 2016. So that is uh, where that's kind of began from and i've you know i've i've been content with it obviously there are you know some disadvantages and, and, and advantages of either strategy but i like the laptop as desktop situation maybe one day that will change but right now i'm i'm happy with it and it sounds like you are as well i think at some point i might get like a base model like try to find like a really discounted m1 mac mini so i can use that for a few of the things that i like to have an always on mac for so I have like this page monitor software that I use called Distill. I have all kinds of like Apple URLs saved. So it goes and it refreshes yeah, those yeah, URLs yeah. multiple times a day. It'll do that on Distill cloud servers if you pay them a lot more. Like I'm talking like $40 a month or something. Or it'll do it on like an always on computer that you have, which I no longer have. But I could get a discounted M1 Mac Mini, use it like headless, just use screen sharing to remote into it. And do things like that without, and still have something that I know won't go offline. But right now, one Mac lifestyle, just MacBook Pro is pretty nice. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top tier candidates as possible to interview. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. We all know that behind every great business is great people. And as you are growing your team, it's so important to have high quality candidates to interview so you know who you're ultimately hiring the best person for the job. And LinkedIn makes it so easy to find them. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It is ubiquitous and the place you want to be for your job to be seen with a vast network of more than a billion professionals. 
I know, for instance, that when my brother was looking for work last year, LinkedIn is the first place that he went to to find a job. It's quite simply the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates available. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And it's so simple to make a job post and get it published on their platform. They even just launched a new feature that helps you write the job descriptions, making an already easy process even quicker to fill out. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and always stretch for time and resources. But the hiring process with LinkedIn is intuitive, quick and easy. Anyone can do it, even in a pinch. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. Apple Music Replay 2023. This was the week of Apple year in review stuff. <laughs> Apple Music Replay, what? Apple Books, which we'll talk about in a second, got a whole bunch of year in review things. Apple Podcasts. The App Store. App Store Awards. Spotify Wrapped. But first, Apple Music Replay. It's basically the same experience as it was last year, so that means it's in the browser. It's like replay.music.apple.com. I did notice this year, I don't know if they did this in prior years, that when you open the music app, for the first time after Replay became available, it like shows you a pop-up screen that says, go check out your Apple Music Replay. So that at least lets people know that it's available, I guess, but I still don't understand why it's not in the music app itself, especially when Spotify Wrapped is. Spotify Wrapped has been in the Spotify app since it launched, and this year one of the changes was that you can also now access Spotify Wrapped on the web. <laughs> it's like the complete backwards of Apple Music. And Spotify Wrapped is just way more prone to being shareable. Like they give you share links and you can just screenshot and like do stuff like the Apple Music solution. It just feels a bit more antiquated and it would be nice if they had like the fully native experience direct into Apple Music. But even if they still wanted to base it on like the web technology solution they have, like just open it in a in-app web view like why when you click on it does it have to shoot you off to safari it just feels so disconnected and then you have to like log in and like you know mess around with yep. it like it's been a few years and they do keep making the replay thing better but it still feels a few steps behind and it's such a easy like it's such a, a you know unforced error because like spotify gets so much free pr and like free press and you know Spotify wrapped always trends all the time, like around this time of year, and people love sharing it on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and stuff. Like, it just feels like something where they could have like a surefire win, and they've kind of fumbled it for several, several years in a row. This year, the replay thing doesn't feel that much different than previous year, but I think they added like a, a couple of new categories, like they got like milestones now, milestones, yeah, yeah, which is cool. But just get something inside the app itself, like it just feels weird that it's a holy web thing or at least make it like easy to share like a video or something you know like they do have like dedicated share icons i think they added those last year but it's still not like spotify rap sharing is so much better and yeah, it, it is just like feels videos. clunky because yeah like i just opened the music app now clicked on replay it opened safari to the replay.apple.com yep. website and then you, you go you know you know you, you press start and then it asked me to log in again it's like <laughs> I've just come from the app. Like, at the very least, open an app web view that's already authenticated, you know, to the, to your replay experience. But Are you are. prepared to tell us what was on your replay this year? Mm. People are going to... People want to know. 
really? Binge and Mayo. Ugh, just I don't know. I listened. I'm not a huge like fanatic for music, so there was you like just listen to like the top hits playlist, yeah. don't you? Yeah, a lot of the time. I like. I'm pretty chill when it comes to pop music. You know, the top stuff I listen to. It, I move through. I think Ed Sheeran was like one of my top artists. So there's, uh, see, because this was a big year for me. The first year since Apple Music Replay, like 2015, that Coldplay hasn't been number one. Oh no. You're slacking. Number one is the 1975. Ah, oh, of course it is. At 5,800 minutes. Coldplay's number two at 5,742 minutes. So, <laughs> 58 more minutes. Well, here's the funny the thing. 1975. It's not the end of the year. <laughs> that's that's that always the true. funny thing with these <laughs> Spotify rep replay of. You've got another month. So, if you really can, want to get Coldplay yeah. at number one, just spam <laughs> it for a couple of weeks. Well, and the other thing is, I'm reminded of this every year. I forget every year. Apple Music Replay doesn't count like iTunes match content. Yep. And a lot of my Coldplay listening is through content that I've had for so long that's iTunes Match, not Apple Music. So if it counted iTunes Match, Coldplay would probably still be far and away number one. But at least according to Apple Music Replay, not anymore. Unbelievable. The other interesting thing this year, Apple Books has (laughs) year-in-review stats and Apple Books. It's completely in the app. Doesn't kick you out to Safari. Is very backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Apple Books has like a pretty comprehensive year in review experience with directly shareable cards and like here's your average reading time across every month of the year and like here's your the longest book you listened to or read and like how many pages on average how many pages did you read your like genres. Uh, it even has like one of the things that Spotify has that makes it on Spotify Wrapped is it has those like um like not job descriptions but you know like classifications like you know um yeah experimentalist or yeah, yeah or chemist chemist or you know like alchemist of like music or whatever else and like the the apple book experience has that so it has like the completionist the wanderer the deep diver the free spirit like all these categories and stuff and it's like you know it's a funny little uh, thing it's like why can't this kind of experience be in the music app? <laughs> like, it's apple books is in a weird state where like it feels so far down, like people's mind of you know mind share of applications. Like Kindle dominates so much, uh, but Apple has shown, I think, a renewed interest in giving it features. Like across this year and last year, they keep giving it stuff like reading goals and you know uh, features. They added new different page transitions in a random iOS update this year for the books app. Like they somebody there's prioritizing it for some reason. <laughs> and I still got to think at some point they're going to launch like a, a content subscription for books in some way. I mean, we just saw Spotify roll in some audio books in their yeah. premium subscriptions. So maybe that's coming to the, the Apple ecosystem at some point too. Like it, it just feels like they don't put this much attention on these apps unless they have a, uh, services planned for them you know an audiobooks subscription service of some sort i think has even been rumored but we haven't heard anything in a while on that yeah nothing concrete yeah but definitely rumors um the other thing that spotify added for rap this year is it like assigns you a city where like it thinks you should live based on your listening habits and it's been an overwhelming number of people have been told that they should live in like it's like burlington vermont berkeley or some city in Utah, and it's every screenshot I've seen is people are like, 
why does Spotify want me to live in Burling- Burlington, Vermont, of all places? Something's a little off in their algorithm, I think. <laughs> again, that's another example of Spotify getting just a bunch of free PR. Like everybody's like, oh, I'm moving to Burlington, Vermont, because Spotify told me to. <laughs> and Apple Music people are just left left in the dark. Left in the cold. Yeah, that's a, the Apple Music replay experience just feels a lot colder and more like sanitized. It's just not quite as edgy. Um, by the way, on the Apple Books thing, they're even considerate of people that they like know that you might use a combination of physical and digital books. So mm. their year in review native feature actually has accommodations for if you know you've read books outside of the Apple Books app. So you can search in the Apple Books store for other books that you you know you've read and you can mark them as finished and then it will automatically include them in your, in your year in review. Oh, okay. like, they don't care about like think how much detail that takes to build to build out a feature like that. Like meanwhile, over on Apple Music, they don't even count your iTunes match plays. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such a different world. Then there's also this week the App Store Awards came out. What was the the iPhone app of the year was something called All Trails, which is like a hiking app. I've heard of it, but I've never used it. Same. What else was there? The trend their trend of the year was generative AI. Which felt like a cop out. Like they didn't just want to give like Chat GPT the app of the year award. So they're like, here's the trend: generative <laughs> AI, and that included a feature for Chat GPT. But yeah, they didn't. They didn't give it number one. Um, the what, what, the iPad app of the year is I don't even know how to set Pret uh, makeup. Pret makeup. Yeah, I've never heard of this app before in my life. But did some sort of apparently digital face chart. Yeah, I don't think I'm the target market. Let's be fair. No. But, Mac um, app of the year was Photomator. That's a good app. Yeah, that's a good app. That's a good app. Here, do you know, you're the Apple TV guy. Apple TV app of the year, Movie. Movie. Never heard of that. I have heard of it. I've never really used it, but it's just like a streaming service with curated um, suggestions. And the Apple Watch app of the year was Smart Gym, which I have. That's a good app. We cover that one. By I think he's an indie developer, so that's cool. That is cool, yeah. But then there's some games of the year, some cultural impact winners. And then, of course, the trend of the year, generative AI. Which Apple will be hoping that that will be their trend of the year next year. In their yeah. <laughs> I was looking at last year and the iPhone app of the year last year was Be Real, which mm. don't think that aged particularly well. Don't, yeah. You don't hear many people taking Be Reals anymore. A lot of these things are very, you know, they have an, they have an uplift and then they fall away iOS 17.2 beta 4 came out this week. The big change here is that it lets you change the default notification sound. Woohoo! So this is, I didn't realize, this is the first time in what, 15, 16 years of the iPhone that Apple's let you change the default notification sound? Yep. And it comes after iOS 17 changed the default notification sound to something that a lot of people hate. Yeah, it's literally so come they, about because they changed the def- They changed the only sound you could have to something that a lot of people didn't like. Because before it was the classic, you know, like tritone, like da-ding. yeah, and that was like that for literally up until iOS 17 when they changed it to rebound, which people complained either it's too quiet or they just didn't like how it sounds. Um, and there was no way to fix it. Oh, uh, we did a I did a post on this pretty soon after iOS 17 came out that was pretty popular because a lot of people did not like yeah. the sound. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of people confuse. So in the sounds and haptic settings, you can change the text tone, right? So the, the default for that is rebound, but you can choose whatever you want. But that doesn't affect app notifications. So if you have an app 
that is using the that isn't customizing the sound that's paired with the banner notification it just uses the default sound it will always until 17.2 use rebound but with 17.2 beta 4 there is now an option to change it so it defaults to rebound as you'd expect but you can choose whatever you want so indeed this is the first time ever that let's say uh i think instagram does this so like instagram dms right they mm-hmm. just use the default sound well up until right now they were always stuck on rebound even if you didn't like rebound but now you can change it and you can even change it back to tritone indeed indeed like this this saying would not exist if they hadn't changed the sound in the first place (laughs) it's just like there was so much backlash to them changing the default to something that wasn't universally appreciated that they've gone out of their way to add a saying that probably should have been there since like i don't know the original iphone (laughs) but yeah probably we finally got there we finally got there Beta 4 also removes the collaborative playlist feature from Apple Music. So this was added in the first beta and we've tested it and it seems to work great. It's a really cool feature, but it's gone. Based on some of like the code strings that we found in Beta 4, it seems like this is because of some sort of abuse of the feature. Not entirely sure how you would abuse Apple Music collaborative playlist, but I guess people have found a way. And it looks like Apple is working on ways to to solve that problem and hopefully i hope it comes back before 17.2 is released because it's such a good feature but at least in beta 4 it's gone yeah i mean it was originally promised as coming later this year so this year yeah if it doesn't if it doesn't come out in point two you're not getting it this year (laughs) let's be real (laughs) point two is going to ship probably next week and next week or the week after yeah yeah which is december and they aren't gonna they aren't gonna have a turnaround on beta on a 17.3 in december uh, so the very earliest you'll next see is January. Um, so it looks like this feature is going to miss its original scheduled release date, even though it was a good feature. But yeah, they, someone probably found some like edge case abuse. Kind of, there was that thing a couple of weeks ago where there was a bug where like if you block someone in messages, people could still send you like find my requests and stuff, and like it was like a you know like personal like oh, abuse yeah. kind of situation. That when I just read what we saw on that, obviously Apple hasn't said anything officially. That was kind of the class of bug that I imagined this is now hit, where someone has realised that if you you can like block someone, but they can still send you invites, or you know they can get around the block or something. Because the raw functionality of you know you shared people with friends and they put each put music into the playlist did work pretty pretty well from our experience during the beta. Uh, but that is purely doing the happy path, right? We haven't kind of tested yeah. the you know the abuse cases as it were so that seems to be what happened here it would never be returned in short order but probably not 17.2 anymore unless unless there's magically a beta 5 next week that it comes back in but i think if they've taken it out now it's probably gone until 17.3 unfortunately happy hour this week is also sponsored by ascii computer corp they make advanced wi-fi routers for your home supporting the latest wireless standards so all your devices can run at their fastest Wi-Fi 6E is the fastest Wi-Fi standard available right now, and it's supported on the latest generation Apple devices like iPhone 15 or the latest line of Apple Silicon Macs. But to take advantage of that theoretical speed, you need a router that supports Wi-Fi 6E. And so right now you can get the Dynalink AXE 10200 mesh system at a special limited price thanks 
to ASCII. The router runs over Wi-Fi 6E on the 6 GHz band, offering faster and more reliable connections than ever before, with speeds up to 10.2 GB per second, covering up to 6,000 square feet in distance, thanks to their tri-band radio technology. And the router runs on a dual-core Qualcomm chip, which ensures your network is always running at peak performance because the router can never get overloaded, and it even has the capacity to connect up to 200 devices per unit in the mesh system. Other features include support for the latest Wi-Fi security protocols like WPA3, guest network mode, advanced parental control options, and more. So once again, buy now to get the Dynalink AXE 10200 whole home mesh system for a special limited time price of just $199. That's a $100 saving. Hit up the link in the show notes to order direct from Amazon now. Thanks again to ASCII Computer Corp for sponsoring the show. Apple and Goldman Sachs are calling it quits, at least according to the Wall Street Journal. So we talked about this a couple months ago. Goldman Sachs was apparently looking for a way out of its relationship with Apple, which currently consists of Apple Card and Apple Card Savings Account. And Apple has apparently sent a proposal to Goldman that would allow it to exit the contract within the next roughly 12 to 15 months. So the... In these types of arrangements, the merchant, which is Apple in this case, basically has final say over everything that happens. So just because Apple is the one that sent the proposal to Goldman doesn't mean Apple is the one who wanted out of the deal. Goldman's the one who wanted out of the deal. And Apple basically, at least the interpretation is that Apple came up with its list of demands and its list of conditions. And if Goldman does X, Y, and Z, they can bail on the partnership. Because the the rumor was that last year Apple and Goldman signed a contract through twenty twenty nine for yeah. <laughs> payment related services, um, and obviously Goldman's attitude to consumer finance has soured dramatically uh, since that contract was signed, or maybe simultaneously as other yeah, an, another division so. inside the company was making the deal. Um, so theoretically, you know, Apple can hold Goldman Sachs to that contract for the next five years, right through the through twenty twenty nine. Uh, it seems, at least from the outside, that that is the terms of the deal and that's what they agreed to. So, you know, you hold Goldman to it or you sue them if they breach their contract, right? <laughs> In both situations, when you have the other party uh, who isn't too keen on doing business that they previously agreed to, it's not a great situation because, yes, they might no. be agreeing to the terms of the deal as written, but you haven't got the passion, the enthusiasm, the drive to work together and collaborate as you probably want in a productive working partnership, right? So even if technically Apple could like force Goldman to do this stuff through 2029, they've probably got the hint that they don't want to do that. So they've been looking for alternative options and whatever exit contract Apple is now proposing probably includes like, you know, financial compensation and rearrangement compensation and all these like things yeah. that are favorable to Apple in the fact that they're taking on the responsibility of finding a new way through. Uh, this latest report... Uh, does not say whether Apple has actually like finalized a deal with another bank partnership, right? Like there's been some rumors about American Express and some other people, but nothing concrete in terms of, you know, signed on the dotted line. There's also the possibility that Apple takes it all on themselves. I mean, they, they certainly have the resource to be their own bank in this way if they applied for the regulatory requirements and, you know, they got the capital allowances on hand if they really needed to. Uh, but it seems like something they probably won't want to do at least in the short term. Over the long term, we've heard about that, you know, Project Breakaway, or whatever it was called, that um, 
the whole point of that is for Apple to take on more and more financial services in-house, like with Apple Pay Later, the actual loan you get from Apple Pay Later is going on Apple's, you know, books. Mm-hmm. Like, it's their money that you're loaning through Apple Pay Later, not Goldman Sachs's. Um, so, you know, long-term, Apple has shown intent to take this in-house, but I think right now they liked the partnership they had because also all of the out-of-the-gate struggles with the Apple Card or the issues, they could all just blame on Goldman. So they <laughs> yeah. took all the credit for the good parts and then just, like, said, well, it's Goldman's fault when anything went wrong. So I think Apple came out of this uh, pretty well. Because uh, Goldman's literally being investigated by the DOJ because of Apple yeah, Card and, problems. <laughs> and Apple's just going to ditch them and move on to somebody yep. else. Uh, so that's probably what's happening here. And I imagine that if Apple sent this proposal, they probably have... S- they they have the next backup plan ready. Like I don't think you're mm-hmm. gonna. I don't think the fate of the Apple Card is that they're just gonna give up on it. You know, like no, I think it's no. been ignoring the issues. It's been successful, and and they keep talking. Even as soon as like this May, they were boasting about you know ten billion in deposits for the Apple Card savings account, for instance, right? Um, and when they do find a new partner, there will probably be some friction in transitioning. Like you might have to resend out. You might have to reissue the titanium physical card for instance because mm-hmm. it, you know the current one i believe is tied to goldman as the bank so you'd have to get like different cards sent out to customers and stuff so it would be a bit of annoyance here and there but they could work through that and at the end of this process i would imagine the consumer facing proposition is basically the same as it is right now uh other than you might have to get a different card put out because i don't think apple would drop the deal prematurely if they couldn't get a yeah. replacement deal, which gave them the same consumer-facing features, like I don't think you know the the the, the owning bank of this the Apple Card is going to change in 15, 12 to fifteen months, and now suddenly it will have a load of these fees, right? Because the whole point of the Apple yeah. Card is they they market this thing that was feeless. So I I assume that is what will happen. The Wall Street Journal story says that American Express, like you said, was Goldman talked to them about offloading the deal. But Amex voiced concerns about the loss rates of Apple Card. That's something I think we've talked about quite a bit, where Goldman has apparently lost like over a billion dollars on Apple Card. Synchrony Financial has also reportedly been in talks to take over the business. And they actually they bid on the Apple Card partnership back in 2018, I think, but they were ultimately beaten out by Goldman Sachs. But they're apparently back in the running. They power a lot of like consumer credit cards, like I think PayPal and some version of an Amazon. Yeah. The Apple statement that they gave after this Wall Street Journal report is hilarious. Classic Apple. So it's Apple and Goldman Sachs are focused on providing an incredible experience for our customers to help them lead healthier financial lives. The award-winning Apple Card has seen a great reception from consumers, and we will continue to innovate and deliver the best tools and services for them. I don't even know. This statement makes it sound like Apple hasn't even seen the news. Yeah. Hasn't even seen the, the, seen the reports. It's like... <laughs> you could cut and paste this statement to, like, any month of the year. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, Apple and Goldman love working together to make an Apple Card experience that cons- consumers love. Uh, News about its uh, problems? No, we've never even no. heard about any problems. Uh, we just love the Apple Card. <laughs> like, yeah, this <laughs> statement is probably one of their best in terms of just completely ignoring what uh, anybody actually wants to say. Because it doesn't even implicitly say that this is what's going on or that, you know, there's going to be no. a partnership. It's just like, Apple and Goldman Sachs currently work together to make an Apple Card and we will ensure that we continue to deliver the best tools and services for customers like the Apple Card. So, like, it literally completely ignores any of the recent commentary, which... 
the Wall Street Journal report is not um, official, right? Like it's you know it's reported that Apple has, wants to call it quits with Goldman Sachs, but it isn't. You know, it's not on the record first party, so maybe it's wrong. Like there is a chance yeah. that it's just completely wrong, and we can carry on with Goldman Sachs for the foreseeable future. But the twelve to fifteen month timeline kind of lines up to like the release window of ios 18 so that's why i kind of felt like there was some truth in it because yeah. you know whatever they need to change in the software to like change the logos and change the text or maybe change the sign up processes to fit whatever new bank uh they've got on they got on tap clearly scheduled for the ios 18 release cycle right either literally right now which would be literally ios 18.0 essentially or by ios 18.3.4 that kind of time frame so that's why I, when i saw 12 15 months i was like oh, okay apple wants to, to change it in iOS 18 time window. Uh, but that's obviously speculation. And Apple will find a way to spin this whenever it does change. It's great news. You know, like <laughs> Apple Car now offers X, Y, and Z. Don't don't worry about the fact that our last partner bailed. You know, we got this new partner on all these new features. It's great. Because one of the, th- like some Apple Car people on Twitter that I've seen are like actively concerned about this news. Because they say that they've you know built their whole financial lives around Apple Card and Apple Card savings account, and if it's going away, what are they going to do? It's not going away. Apple's just going to switch whoever they're partnering with, make it better, and I don't even. Most people probably won't even know a difference, except like you said, they might get a new titanium card in the mail, which most people will be happy about. That redesign the titanium card, and people will be happy. Yeah, make it <laughs> black. make a gold version. Yeah, make a gold. Yeah. You you have an Apple Card, right? I do. Do you use it a lot or not? I use it for Apple purchases and the occasional Apple Pay because it's three percent cash back on Apple purchases and two percent on any Apple Pay Apple Pay transaction. So my primary card is American Express, but I do use the Apple Card. I mean, you can't you can't question that it is a great credit card in terms of like the healthy financial stuff. Like it shows you how much interest. You're going to pay every month. It shows you exactly how much you need to pay. The interest-free Apple installments are a great benefit. And when you say everything like that, it's might be it's kind of apparent why Goldman might not like the partnership too. Yeah, much. well, one of the one of the biggest like hurdles that keeps coming up and is the friction between Apple and Goldman Sachs was over the fact that Apple forced Goldman to release the statements on the first of every month for all That's customers true. yeah <laughs> uh, which is incredibly customer friendly right because it's like well every single calendar month i know exactly what my statement is on day one but most credit card companies send out statements over spread out to all their customer base over the month because yep. when you send out statements you encourage customer support i.e people phoning up and you know either disputing transactions or get checking troubleshooting or getting help repaying and so if you spread out the statement over the month, it means your call centers don't have to have as many people on staff because they just get less load per day. But because Apple required Coleman to uh, <laughs> put out statements on the first of every month, they were getting completely swamped on the first of the month yeah. and uh, you know, being overrun and getting negative customer um, feedback because they weren't you know, responding to their customer service in time. Uh, so it's definitely customer friendly, at least in design. In implementation, there's been some issues, right? You know, the 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 problems getting stuff done there was the issue where big trans big um deposits and withdrawals from the savings account were getting blocked because of some fraud thing that was a story yeah. for a while you go way back in the day and there were the allegations that you know the application program the application process was like sexist and all that stuff that was the 2019 scandal yep. with the apple card like so it's you know it's had its um 
swings and roundabouts, but the premise of the card is very consumer-friendly. I think the savings account was incredibly appealing when they announced it, when it came out, like at the beginning of the year. But interest rates are continue to rise. And so if you actually want the best deal, uh, the Apple Card savings account is not really the best option because it's still at like 4% or whatever. And I feel mm-hmm. like you can get 5% in quite a lot of places nowadays. So if you just want like value from, you know, your actual straight down value for money, both the savings account and the credit card are probably beaten by other companies, right? Or other oh, offerings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but for an overall consumer product offering... It was pretty clever and pretty nice. So I'm sure Apple will endeavor to preserve as much of that as they possibly can with whatever partner they have uh, lined up next. And hopefully, the whatever partner they do have will be more amenable to launching uh, internationally. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. It's still US only. And they keep adding Not if all it's these, American like, Express. Yeah. And they keep adding all these um, like add-on features, which are dependent on the apple card like the like the monthly installments of buying the phones and stuff like mm-hmm. they still have that's like a bottleneck for them because in the apple store us you know the monthly installment payment plans with apple card is like a key thing as when you check out they keep having to offer alternatives in other countries because the apple card doesn't exist so one day that will all be resolved but right now it's a bit of a mess Finally, this week's episode is sponsored by DreamTech. DreamTech offers high-tech, ultra-intelligent vacuuming and mopping solutions for the home, powered by artificial intelligence. With a product line that combines innovation, efficiency, and affordability, DreamTech provides customers with a smart and accessible approach to maintaining a clean and healthy living environment. With powerful suction, fully automated cleaning routines, all-in-one wet and dry cleaning, advanced AI-powered navigation, and a smart self-emptying feature, they've got you covered. Their robot vacuum and mops clean your floors while you can spend your precious time doing more important things. And they have a huge range of models on offer, so there's something for everyone. Even better, all of their cutting-edge products are now available at their lowest prices ever. That means you can get up to 40% off on selected models with savings up to $450. Make sure to use these exclusive promo codes for maximum savings. Use promo code numbers 925BF5OFF for 5% off the models L20 Ultra, L10S Ultra, D10 Plus, and H12 Pro, and use promo code numbers 925BF10 off for 10% off the R20 and R10 models. Check out all of that information in the show notes. Thanks again to DreamTech for sponsoring the show. In the world of Apple partnerships that are going great for one company (laughs) and bad for Apple, Bloomberg reports that Apple's plans to create its own 5G modems to ditch Qualcomm are still not going very well. So Bloomberg says that Apple will miss its goal of finalizing its first 5G modem in time for the 2025 iPhones. So the ideal target would be 2026, I suppose. The new ideal target. (laughs) Yeah, this doesn't seem to be going very well for Apple. Yeah, originally, originally, it seems like Apple had like put on 2024 i.e next year to ship the first 5g modem in an iphone model and then that became pretty plain that that was going to happen then it got pushed back to 2025 and now most recently it's been pushed back to 2026 we recently saw apple and qualcomm announce that their deal for chip licensing had been extended at least through 2026 if not longer uh, in that report um sorry when that came out qualcomm told its investor base that they anticipate to supply only 20% of the modems for the 2026 generation iPhone, mm-hmm. i.e. by that time, Apple will transition mostly to its own chips. But it also said something very similar a couple of years ago for 2024, 
and now it'll still be supplying 100% of those models. So, you know, this is fluid based on Apple's um, development pipeline. Clearly, they're, they're, their division working on uh, the modem stuff is not quite going to original plan. It's taking longer. Yeah. There's been bugs. They've been having issues with overheating. The latest indications that the prototypes they've got are working, but only working at speeds that are much slower than the latest Qualcomm chips. And they haven't gone through the full um, test suite for validation worldwide, right? Because there are so many different mm-hmm. communication standards and they have to get validation with all the carriers in the world if they want to ship these worldwide. So there's a lot of delays, a lot of problems. They still want to do it, seemingly. The advantages in the long term are, number one, profitability. Because if they can ship their own chips, they can reduce the royalty payments to Qualcomm dramatically. Uh, this week it was quite interesting because the information had a report that said Apple only pays ARM thirty cents per Apple Silicon chip that they release, <laughs> you know, per per unit sold. Uh, but we've seen in like the Qualcomm trial from a few years ago that Apple's paying like five dollars or more to Qualcomm for every iPhone sold. So yep. like you can see the difference in row payments, and Apple would love to only pay thirty cents <laughs> to Qualcomm rather than five dollars. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why they're making their own chips here. The second reason is just to repeat the success of Apple Silicon, right? Like switching from Intel to Apple's own chips has brought incredible gains for efficiency and performance. And they obviously believe that they'll be able to deliver similar results for modems too, with battery life improvements and faster speeds. Uh, initially, the effort will release it will just be like an apple chip on the board where the qualcomm chip was swap that out for an apple chip but eventually the plan is to unify it with the actual soc of the you know the a15 a16 a17 blah 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 you'll be able to have the modem chip on the same chip itself in the same package and that will significantly reduce uh, power usage but that's all longer term stuff right now they're just trying to make it work and basically get rid of the qualcomm logo and the qualcomm technologies inside and be based on a purely Apple design, which is complicated because Qualcomm has a lot of patents around the standard and stuff. So there will no doubt be royalty disputes ongoing even when they do finally get this working. But that is the goal. So number one, I think Apple just wants to improve their margins. And then secondly, it will have product benefits too for the end customer. But it's many years away still. One of the quotes in the Bloomberg story from someone presumably working at Apple on this is, we're scared of being sued. Which that's not something you want to hear from your team developing next generation modem technology. Like Qualcomm owns so many patents in this space that even if Apple's able to switch to its own modems, like right now that Apple pays Qualcomm $9 for each iPhone sold. That includes its technology. Like the payment's going to be lower, but if Apple still has to license patents, it's not going to go to zero. And I don't think it's going to go as low as 30 cents that yeah. it's paying to ARM. It'll probably go from $9 to like $3, right? Which is still yeah, a huge is, improvement. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, that's billions of dollars of profit <laughs> over, that, you know, over a quarter probably if you calculate it out fully. Um, so the the upside here is huge. But obviously Apple's worried that, you know, as well as the licensing situation, just the, the quality control situation, like it's an awful outcome if you ship oh, yeah. Apple modems and they're like noticeably worse than the iPhone you literally shipped the previous year or compared to other Android uh, phones on the market. Because it's literally the fundamental part of the phone, you know, doing calls, sending messages, and receiving and sending data. So uh, it's a big high-risk endeavor. Antenna gate, but if you, like, multiplied it by a thousand. Yep, yep. So, and a lot know. of Apple's work here is based on what it acquired from Intel in 
whatever year that was, 2019, I think, mm-hmm. for a billion dollars. And another one of the quotes from Bloomberg is, why we thought from somebody at Apple, why we thought we could take a failed project from Intel and somehow succeed is a mystery. <laughs> it's a good encapsulation of things, I think. Yeah. I think they'll succeed eventually, but their initial timelines were probably a bit optimistic. Interesting, the Bloomberg report does um, kind of confirm something that Quo had said before that we thought was a bit weird. But like uh, Quo at one point mentioned that the iPhone SE was like the testbed product for the 5G modem from Apple. uh, And that was meant to come out in 2024. Uh, and now 2025 or whatever and that was sounding like a bit of you know one of quote like weird eccentricities of reporting but <laughs> bloomberg sure enough says the same thing that the apple modem was originally planned to launch in the next generation iphone se next year and now that is pushed out to at least 2025 and probably 2026 uh based on the current production development timeline the bloomberg story also says that once apple's able to integrate it onto the soc that they can bring that they, at least right now, plan on bringing 5G to the Mac. So MacBooks with 5G for the first time. That makes sense. That would be a big benefit to this if it's able to to succeed. Because I would buy a MacBook with 5G. I mean, they could do that right now with Qualcomm modems. Like, I don't really see why they have to wait for it to be an Apple modem to pull that off. It seems like, like they just don't want to expand their relationship with Qualcomm any further than right, it already is. Right. But I mean... If I was Tim Cook, I'd like look at the iPad and think, we charge $130 extra for this cellular yeah. version of the iPad. Why don't we charge $130 extra for MacBook Air and have cellular in it too? Like, it seems, it seems like a weird uh, place to draw the line there, but that's what they've done so far. So I guess they'll continue. And finally, uh, update on Vision Pro. So this was Vision Pro, Vision OS Beta 6 two weeks ago added a whole bunch of new onboarding videos. So a video that's shown during the setup process and it shows users how they can navigate throughout Vision OS, how to set up the gestures and customize the persona for FaceTime calls. This, I think when this happened, we were like, oh, Vision Vision Pro is getting close. Like they might actually, early 2024 might actually mean January. Yeah, like we got when onboarding when you're in videos. These videos. It's like when they had the wallpapers to the iOS betas or whatever, or the, like the Mac yeah, betas. Yeah. They're always like the beta before it's ready to ship. And this is the equivalent here. So clearly the software team inside Apple has been preparing for like the 17.2 version number to be the one that's ready for Vision Pro because you've got these marketing videos in there. You've got the AirPlay receiver feature on the iPhone. You've got the spatial mm-hmm. photo stuff that we talked about in a previous episode. Like clearly the software teams were planning for this time frame. Uh, to be prepared for the device hardware. But then Mark Gurman says that Vision Pro, at least presumably from a hardware standpoint, is still not quite ready for launch. And he says we should expect it sometime around March. He said at one point that it had been planned for January 2024, which may line up with the software being ready, right? As we've just seen. Uh, But now they're still doing... Uh, final device testing and they're still preparing like distribution plans for retail and stuff so it, january seems off the table uh, March. the distribution thing sounds like one of the biggest headaches because we i think it was mark who also said apple is like flying out some retail employees mm-hmm. to cupertino to be trained on vision pro the software evidence is all there the hardware is getting there i mean people have people in the real world developers have it like outside of apple 
We just saw people try spatial video, so that's press getting a second round of access to Vision Pro. The one hardware question I have is EyeSight, because during the WWD the WWDC demos, EyeSight was not functional, and we still don't know. We haven't heard any updates on that. So I'm wondering if that's also a bottleneck. You have the retail distribution, EyeSight, and any sort of production problems. Like Those are the three sticking points at this point, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like we're getting close, but not quite. You can see how if it was going to be January, the like um, the uh, the kind of like mini press event they did for the special photos thing might have been a time where they did like a full. Here's the Vision Pro, guys. Right, it's shipping here. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that timeline slipped, and so now it's more like a. Here's just a quick update on Vision Pro special photos for the press, keep it in the news, and then you know January, February, March time they'll come back with an event and be like, it is shipping on this date, and you can order now. But remember, it's only the US only. I imagine we'll get like a quote-unquote full-blown event, sort of like what we had in October for the Max for Vision Pro. Yeah. Like it's not just going to be a press release thing. Vision Pro is available to order tomorrow. Yeah, with the with the Apple Watch, they did that, right? Like, oh, it, yeah. was an, it was announced in September of the 2014, and then it came out in like April 2015, but in March 2015, they did like a, here's the Apple Watch, mm-hmm. boys, and guys, and like, <laughs> this is what's going on with it. So I'm uh, I'm anticipating a similar thing for the Vision Pro, uh, uh, especially maybe uh, in person event where people actually get to try it on. You know, <laughs> that would be nice because that still hasn't really happened outside of those very controlled uh, demo. Like so far to date, press has not been able to take a photo of it, apart from when yeah. it was on that on that stand in that room in uh, Steve Jobs Theater. Right, like not no no one wearing it has been able to take a picture of it in use. Uh, so that is the. That is what the opportunity will be when the next event rolls around. And again, that's US only. So Mayo, you're, you'll be waiting well beyond January, February, March, whatever. I mean, if I plan to buy it at launch, I'd be more annoyed about that. But I, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. I don't think it's going to do enough. Like, it'll be fun. Yeah. I want to use one, try it out. But it's not like when the first iPad came out or like the, the Apple Watch came out originally. I was like, yes, I want this, I want this, I want this. I can actually, you know, do stuff with it and want to know what, you know, and use it and I'm I'm ready for it. This is much more like, it's cool, but people need to chill out. <laughs> you know? I think I'm still planning on buying it. I'm getting, I'm getting less and less excited every day. Every day you kind of dawns you there's actually less that you'll use it for in daily life is the reality, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I... I definitely think they need to do another round of big, like a big press push, not just because I want to try it again, but just because I want to hear other people try it again beyond like the three people who got to experience spatial videos yeah. earlier this month. Like I want to hear, I want, I want people like, like me, but also like MKBHD and the Verge and those people to try it again and be able to talk about how it compares to what they tried at WWDC to see what's changed. What sort of improvements, if any, Apple has made since June? You oh, know, I'm sure like, there will be some, and they'll be they'll have held back a couple of little features, like the Apple TV content side, right? Maybe the yeah, Things Plus thing mm-hmm. will be ready to go by then. Like, there's obviously some some bits and bobs that they didn't talk about in June at all that will be you know newsy for the spring, as well as just going through all the features of it again and you know doing more demos and stuff. But it's still like, even if I'm given the most charitable license on that like it's the current state of the hardware it just feels 
not compelling enough for what it is. It's uh, it's, it's it's almost like the definition of like the early adopter product, you know? Like oh yeah, it's not mainstream in any way, shape, or form. Way more than the iPad or the Apple Watch were, for instance. I think the content thing is going to be a big part of it for me and for other people. Like, if Apple comes out in January and they say you'll be able to watch Friday Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus this year, an immersive, immersive video on your Vision Pro, like that, that's a that's a point in favor of me buying it. If they but say will, we'll have a library, will they be of ready a, to do that? Like, I'm not. Sure. I don't know. That's. Are they going to have the cameras and the equipment at every stadium that does front baseball? Like, I reckon it's, it's going to be a week. Are you sure? But I reckon it'll be like this New York Yankees game on the eighth of February yeah. will be available <laughs> in spatial video, <laughs> and then the rest of the season will be like normal. You know, like that's kind of. I feel like it's way too early for that to be like ready to go. I mean, they they the if they they stream Friday Night Baseball in 1080p, right? Like it's. It's high bitrate, well, it's good, but though. it's yeah. not 4K because the st- the the stadiums don't have 4K cameras. So, like, there's huge chicken and egg ecosystem problems here that take time yeah. to resolve themselves. One of the demos that they showed at WWDC was a basketball game. So presumably that means you'll at least be able to watch a little bit of something other than Avatar. And we did see the 3D movies thing in iTunes movies pop up a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but more content stories, I think. That'll help me get excited about it again. All right. I think that does it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating and a review to help more people find the show and find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can email us feedback, happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I am on Threads, Mastodon, Twitter, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? All those same places at BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.